Summertime brings out the best fruit in the morning at the beach for dessert, a sweet juicy peach or the perfect drippy watermelon slice quenches your taste buds like no other food. And it's not hard to see why Christ teaches us how to follow him using that exact subject, fruit. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for tuning into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope it helps you continue on your faith journey. Today, we wrap up the summer series, I Am, where Pastor Jason is digging deep to help us discover what Jesus really believed about the scriptures about himself and why it matters in our daily life right now. Today, we discover how to know if you're really connected to Jesus and how to stay there all our days. So let's listen in right now. Hey, Tower Hill Church Online, Pastor Jason here. So glad you could be with us to worship. We're so glad to have you. I want to make sure that you fill out a Connect card if you're new, our digital Connect card. We want to make sure that we get to know you and we can invite you to participate in all the different things happening in the life of the church. And we want to ask too that if you're finding this online experience of worshiping God helpful, and meaningful for you. Won't you share it with your friends? Um, you know, we're just trying to find ways to spread the good news of Jesus, and you can help us do that. You can have a real help us do that in a real tangible way. Well, we're finishing up our sermon series. We've been doing this series for the last several weeks. This series that's all about understanding who Jesus really is, who who He said He was, and what does that mean for our everyday life. You see, theology matters. What we say about God matters. Because it's not just that we say we believe in Jesus, but what do we mean when we say we believe in Jesus? So this series is called I Am, Revealing the True Identity of Jesus. And of course, we've been going over these I Am sayings as presented in John's Gospel as a way of understanding who did Jesus say that he was and what does that mean for us? We started, and we've been saying this every week, that The signs that we see in the Bible, the signs and miracles that Jesus did were always meant to point to something deeper, to point to something else. It's like if I have a danger thin ice sign, right? The the danger isn't the sign. The danger is what the sign is pointing to. In other words, signs point to something beyond themselves. So when we look at the miracles of Jesus or when we think about how God shows up in our everyday life, we need to think about the purpose of signs is to get our attention, to say, hey, over here, right? (laughs) I need to show you something. Signs, as we see in scripture, point to the presence and power of God among his people. Why? Well, most often it's so that they will believe, so that they will see that God is real and respond accordingly. Now we have Signs, we experience signs from God, I think, all the time. We're just not always paying attention, or sometimes we don't understand what the signs are necessarily pointing to, but the signs are always meant to draw us in, like the burning bush and Moses. The burning bush is the sign, but the purpose was to draw him in so that God can reveal his purpose for his life. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he introduces himself. I am not just an impersonal God at a distance. I am the God who's going to share my name with you. I am. I am the I am. Now, if you're just joining us here for this last installment of the series, I unpack that a bit more throughout the rest, through the earlier parts of the series. So you may want to go back and listen to that. 
But the bottom line is, is that when Jesus is saying, I am, in these statements, he, of course, is saying, I am, and he's listing whatever those things are. So we've seen, I am the bread of life, and I am the good shepherd and the gate. We sort of handled that in one message. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of these statements stand on their own. And, and if you just give like a plain reading of the text, it makes perfect sense. But there's also a layer playing like really loud background music that says every time Jesus says, I am, he's actually invoking the divine name. Now, there are some scholars that debate about this, but I happen to believe that this is exactly what he's doing. He is saying, I, I am the I am. I and the Father are one. And the reason I say that is because of what Jesus says. He says, he and the Father are the same. If you know him, you know the Father as well. And I think it makes sense for the fact that he was brought up on charges of blasphemy, and that's what he was crucified for. Those were the charges they pinned on Jesus, of blasphemy, because he was claiming to be God. Okay, so we've looked at all these statements. And as we continue, I, really the way to understand it is to say that Jesus took everything that was written in God's law and he made it personal so that we could follow it, so we could see what it looks like to live in obedience to God, to love God with our whole hearts. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and he's saying, come and follow me. Jesus made it personal and clearer. I used that illustration last week about, you know, you're getting customer service at a store. What's the more powerful and meaningful and easy to follow customer service? The representative who says, oh yeah, go find that on aisle 144. Or the customer service agent who's like, you know what, let me take you there. Let me show you. I believe that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, do you want to know the way to the Father? Let me show you. In fact, I am the Father. I, the Father and I are one. And if you know me, you know the Father. So you can follow me and I'm going to show you exactly the way. Your job's to follow. I'm making it much clearer and personal. I'm invested in this. In fact, I'm laying my life down for this to happen. I think a question, though, that comes up, and this is where we're going with today's message, is how do I know when I'm living in the way of Jesus? In other words, what are the markers of the Christian life? I know that maybe that sounds sort of like a no-brainer question, but I don't think so. I think on some level, we're always sort of asking, like, is my life really showing what I say I believe about Jesus? How should it show that? What does that even look like? Does it look like, well, I go to church every week, or I go to church once a year, or I give money, or I serve in a local food pantry, or I volunteer at church? What are the actual markers of the Christian life? I used to, when I first came to faith in Jesus, I'm not sure that I really understand the connection between those two, between sort of belief and behavior, but I got that message very quickly. So when I became a Christian, many of you know my story, so I won't go into all the details, but I came to faith at the age of 19 at a Christian camp, and I, when I went back to school for my second year of college, I had already pledged a fraternity, and I went back with all my fraternity buddies. And I'm, here I am trying to just sort of navigate being this brand new Christian on my own in the lion's den. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was trial by fire, I tell you that much, with my faith. And I, I certainly had my share of struggles, but I felt really alone. I felt like I didn't have a lot of support, especially in the moments when it mattered most. 
And then uh, this phenomenon would keep happening where, you know, I might, I sort of, I won't say that I was attacked for my faith, but I was teased. Or I was kind of looked at like, well, he's, he's not going to join us in this fun over here because he's, you know, that Tucker, he's just gone off the deep end, right? He's, he's, he's fallen in love with Jesus. Um, and so I would sort of get a ribbing from the guy sometimes. And it was always like after that would happen, I'd have somebody come up to me and say, you know what, I really appreciate how you're trying to live your faith. I'm a Christian too. And, and that happened more than once. And I used to think to myself, then where were you? Where you been? I had no idea. There's nothing that would indicate to me that you are a person of faith in any way. And I didn't mean that to judge them. I'm just like, how would I possibly know? The point is this. It's not just enough to believe. It's got to show up in how we behave. It's about belief and behavior. There's always a connection in the two. Jesus didn't just call us to agree with something. He called us to follow him. Remember, he's the way. What do you do on the way? You walk it. You don't just think about it, you walk it. Jesus gives us, I mean, listen, he gives us all sorts of really helpful guidance on how to live our faith. But I find this to be particularly helpful as we, as we kind of head towards this last I am saying. And that is he tries to tell us the difference between how do you know you're following even just the right people? How are you, how are you following good teachers, bad teachers, good prophets, false prophets? How do you know if you've gotten into some teaching that maybe isn't right and it's kind of throwing you off? Like I know that I, I experienced some teaching in my early Christian years that was not helpful. And, I, and I, looking back, I was like, man, I wish I could have avoided that. Or maybe you've had that too, where you've had somebody walk alongside you, or maybe you've been in a church where they, they kind of ruined you, or they kind of hurt you based on some of their teaching. Well, how do, you, how do you know what to listen to and what not to listen to? Because the Bible's complicated, and we need help. We need community and all of that. Well, here's what Jesus says. This, this is really interesting how Jesus unpacks this. Um, he starts out with this. He talks about a tree and fruit. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. This is actually in the Sermon on the Mount. He starts by saying this, verse 15, chapter 7, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. There it is. There's the very practical tip. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So is there a way to recognize them? Absolutely, by their fruit. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Ouch. <laughs> well, what's Jesus getting at? He's saying that 
if you're going to believe in me, if you believe, you know, if you're a real prophet, if you're a real disciple, then you're going to bear good fruit. You're going to be the one who's going to bear fruit in your life. And this is so important because even, you know, kind of draws out this idea that if we're following and we're not bearing fruit, we're not really following. He's going to say, you know, those who say they know me, and I'm going to say, I don't know you. Who are you? Right? You never actually followed me. You thought about it or, you know, that was something that you considered in your life, but you never actually followed me. And I love this idea of this test of fruit, that you know if something is from God, if it bears the right kind of fruit. If it doesn't, then you sort of know that maybe there is something amiss. Maybe there is something that is off. So it's maybe not as perfect and clean as this all the time, but I think most of the time it's a principle that can work in our lives. You know, how do I know that something is from God and something isn't? What is it producing in me or what is it producing in others or what is it producing for the world or for God's purpose? Is it something that's good or is it something that's bad? When I hear that teaching from someone, is it producing anxiety in me? Is it producing something that's drawing me away from the love of Christ? Well, maybe that's an indicator that it's not good fruit. Now, how do we know? What does this fruit actually look like? How will I know it when I see it? Well, thankfully, Scripture is very clear on this. Many of you, if you grew up in church, you know there's songs that have been written about this. So you probably, when I start saying it, that song will kind of come back to mind. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. This is Paul trying to explain, what does this fruit look like? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what does the fruit of following Jesus look like? It looks like these things. And the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is something that's cultivated over time. This is a life of following Jesus, that we would be bearing fruit. Because what's the purpose of fruit? The purpose of fruit is to feed others, right? It's to feed others. Like You get the most benefit out of a vine or a tree when, you're, when you maximize the amount of fruit that comes out of it. It's like every year when we go to Vermont and we see the apple orchards and the apple trees are all twisted and, and they look contorted in these weird sort of shapes. And that's because they've been pruned in order to produce more fruit. Well, this is true in the Christian life. We are in this process of being pruned by God so that we can produce as much fruit as possible. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit for others to experience, to be blessed by, to enjoy, for the purpose of the kingdom of God. But what is the spiritual process of this, bearing this fruit? And that's where we get to our final I am saying here in the Gospel of John. This is John 15, beginning of verse 1. I am, here it is, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Ahead to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's like he's anticipating all of our questions, right? So what does it mean to remain in me, to remain in the vine? How do I stay attached? Because you know what happens if the branch gets detached from the vine, it withers and dies. It can't bear any fruit. All of its nutrients, all of its health come from, all its flourishing come from the vine. How do you stay connected? He says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may may be complete. Isn't that fascinating? I don't think we often think of obedience as the gateway to joy. Because I think we think of obedience as something that's kind of like taken from us. Like certain liberties are taken from us or you know, we are to obey. We have this very allergic reaction to the idea of obedience. But when it's in obedience to God, it changes our life. It leads to freedom. It leads to joy. Flourishing on the vine. So what does this look like as we play this out? As we live our Christian life, What is flourishing on the vine about? What does it look like? Well, I think a couple of things we can extract from these passages can help us as we figure out how we navigate our life forward. Jesus saying, I am the true vine, means everything about how we live our everyday life. If we stay connected to the vine, it's going to look like good fruit. If we we disconnect, it looks like bad fruit. So, flourishing on the vine. Number one. Flourishing on the vine is about discernment, right? You will know the false or true teachers by their fruit. I call it the fruit test principle. Now, while Jesus isn't exactly saying this is a principle to use everywhere, I don't think it's unbiblical to say that this could be a strategy to do that, to say, how do I know if something is of God in my life? Well, what kind of fruit is it producing in me? Is it producing unhealthiness? Addiction? Is it producing sorrow? Is it producing depression? Is it producing anxiety and chaos and confusion? It's probably not from the Lord. Is it producing love in me? Compassion? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? Then chances are it is from the Lord. It's I feel like it's a nice practical lens through which to view how do I know that I'm walking in the way of Jesus? How do I know that I'm attached to the vine? Well, what's going on with the fruit of what I'm doing? So it's about discernment. Discernment's everything in my view. To know, am I following Jesus' voice? Am I following my own or someone else's? The second, flourishing on the vine is about behavior, right? Not just belief. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. We are to bear much fruit right? It's about action. It's about saying and doing. This is the way of the disciple, of course. Discipleship in Jesus' day wasn't just about learning up here. It was about doing. I mean, why do you think Jesus had his disciples follow him and do the things that he did? It was more like an apprenticeship, not just an education class. He puts it this way later on in Matthew chapter 7 as he's explaining the importance of listening and doing. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Signs point to the presence and power of God among his people. Why? So that they will believe and live accordingly. Listening and doing. Belief and behavior. And lastly, flourishing on the vine is really about loving Jesus. I think about Jesus' question to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I am the vine, you are the branches. You want to know how to stay in the vine? Remain in my love. I don't think this is a small thing. I think this is all about loving Jesus. In other words, I don't think we obey God's commands in order for God to love us. Like We're not trying to get something from God. We obey because we love God. Because He first loved us. Because He died for us before we even knew who He was. When you love somebody, you want to do something to honor them. You want to let your life reflect how much you love them. Remember, obedience in the way of Jesus leads to joy, Jesus says. We don't obey in order for God to love us. We obey because we love God. I've got a couple of questions for you. The first is, are you connecting to the true vine? In your life right now, could you say, yeah, you know, I feel like I am attached. The Lord's, you know, Jesus is bearing fruit in and through me for others? Or do you feel like maybe it's been a while, or maybe you never felt like you were part of the vine? So the first thing I have to ask you is, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you done that? If you haven't, the way you do that is very simple, but very profound. You could bow your head. You could do it even right now. Bow your head. And say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I confess my sins to you. I believe that you came, you lived, you died and rose again to forgive me. You are my Lord and Savior, and I pledge to follow you. You could talk to him like you're talking to a friend. Or maybe if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you might want to ask yourself this question. Can others identify the fruit in me? Or am I like that fraternity kid who didn't speak up while the Christians were taking a beating? (laughs) While the one Christian kid was taking a beating? Would people know that my faith means something to me? I think it's something to consider, think about. Maybe you want to ask some people that you love, can you see the fruit in me? Or thirdly, which vine do you often attach to if not Jesus? Maybe it's the vine of success or status or productivity. Whatever that looks like for you, I think part of following Jesus well is identifying the false vines. We want to be attached to the true vine. What are the false vines that are stopping us from living into the joy and fullness and fruitfulness of the Christian life? Whatever your answer is, I guarantee you this. Jesus is strong enough big enough, and loves you more than enough to reattach you, to bring you in. 
to show you what life can still be if you follow after Him. Jesus is the I Am. The One who was and is and is to come. And if we put our trust and faith in Him, we discover what we can become. Amen.